I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic Hockey Show. back for a Monday edition of the Athletic Hockey Show. It's Ian Mendes with you as always, and uh, we got a pinch hitter in here. Actually, let, let's find out who his favorite pinch hitter was of all time. Uh, it's Mark Lazarus sitting in for Julian McKenzie. And I know you're a baseball guy. You're a Met guy. Uh, who's your, like, who, like, when I say pinch, like for me, I was thinking John Vanderwall. Oh, yeah. Like classic yeah, yeah. 90s pinch hitter would come in. Who's Who's... Who does Laz want to be when I call you the pinch hitter? You know, I think Lee Mazzilli was the guy that I think of Lee Mets fan growing up. He wore, remember he yes. was like he wore those, the, the, those his pants were so tight you wonder how he could breathe. <laughs> Lee Mazzilli would always come in in like the eighth inning, you know, because pitchers used to pitch seven or eight innings every game. He would come yeah. in in the late eighties in the Mets. He hit a ground ball to shortstop and be out, but it's like, hey, Lee Mazzilli, we like that guy. He's, a, he's an Italian New Yorker sounding guy. We like that guy. There we go. Lee Mazzilli is stepping in. <laughs> yeah, Julian McKenzie is uh well he's doing some traveling this week uh work related i think he's uh able to spend a little bit of time back in montreal anyway so it didn't work out for him so we got laz sitting in we got a full slate of things to talk about which 
uh, includes, you know, Patrick Kane. I think a lot of people want to hear about Kane, uh, kind of what's the latest there. We'll talk about a divisive article written by our colleague, uh, Sean Fitzgerald, in the NHL 99 on Scott Stevens, um, Board of Governors meetings. I want to start, though, with something, because I just came back from Ottawa practice against, uh, they're teeing up, they're playing Anaheim tonight. And on the weekend, in Nashville, if for the listeners who haven't seen this, there's a good chance you probably saw it if you're on social media, but Ottawa defenseman Thomas Shabbat, in the middle of that game, was really frustrated because he felt like there was a missed call from the referee, like a shot to his head, got back to the bench. He's sitting there for like 15, 20 seconds. All of a sudden, takes his stick out, and he smashes it against what he thinks is just the kind of the glass kind of next to him. His stick, the, the stick basically breaks on the glass, and the he's now got half a stick in his hand, and he follows through, not unlike Lee Mazzilli back in the day, full <laughs> baseball swing, uh, and it hits Travis Hamannick in the face. Hamannick is in pain. It was it was crazy. And anyway, Shabbat, to his credit, first thing he did today, he stayed out extra. You knew he knew the question was coming. He walked us through it. Just said, "Look, it's a dumb mistake. I don't. I can't do that. I'm really sorry for doing it. It's dumb. It's probably one of the le- things I'm least proud of. So I, I appreciate he owned up to it. But this is what he added, Laz, because of course, being the tough journalists we are, we asked, "Well, what did you get him to say sorry?" <laughs> and Shabbat says, I bought him a few things, but I'll leave it up to him if he wants to tell you guys what I bought him. Oh, wow. So now, so this is why I want to spitball. Like, so if I hit you in the face with a shard, kind of a broken out of a hockey, like what's, what's the, what's appropriate payback here? Well, it depends. Are you making athletic money or are you making NHL player money? Ooh, okay. Yeah, no, let, let's put this in the layperson's terms. <laughs> like, like just regular people. Like yeah, you're not you're not you're not gonna buy me a watch or a car like like a hockey player might do. So yeah. honestly, you know, I'd like to think I'd be the bigger man here. And I'd like to say you don't have to buy me anything. Maybe you could, you know, buy me a beer the next time we're out, or we'll go we'll go grab some dinner or something like that. Um, I'd like to think that, but I'm probably not that, and I would want something. I would yeah. think I would, you know, you know, uh, um, I don't know, like a really nice bottle of liquor, maybe like a really good bourbon, maybe something like that. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny because like anyone who has kids has seen this happen a thousand times. Happened to me last night. We were making gingerbread cookies last night. You know, stereotypes that we are. We're making gingerbread cookies in December. And I have a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, two girls. And my seven-year-old was getting frustrated because she couldn't get the little uh, icing squeezer. to yep. to, 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 to she, she, Her fine motor skills weren't clicking in very well. And it was making a mess. And she got mad and she slammed it down. And it bounced up and got icing all over my daughter's new shirt, my 10-year-old's new shirt. And she was really mad. And it's funny because you go from super, super angry to super, super apologetic real quick when something like that happens. And you saw that with Shabbat where he's so angry <laughs> and then me like, oh, God, I'm so sorry, which which leads me to believe that you weren't that really that angry to begin with. If you could turn that quickly, then maybe you shouldn't have maybe you should have reacted better in the first place. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and listen, we'd love to hear from our listeners, too, maybe in an in a uh, rec league that you've played in. If you have you ever accidentally injured your teammate and then. More importantly, what did you do to make it right? <laughs> right? Like, what did you do to make it right? I, I'm with you. I think in our kind of tax bracket, being a, uh, somebody who just buy a bottle of uh, wine or what, yeah. you know, one, just something to say you're sorry. But then you'll still take the brunt of the jokes later on. Like, people will still have the right to make fun of you. Yeah, I'm amazed this doesn't happen more often. The, the emotions and the passions run so high. And these guys get so angry when something goes awry. And they've got knives on their feet and they've got weapons in their hands. And how, you know, how does this not happen more often where guys just 
explode. Like you see, I, you see a guy celebrate a goal and do a huge fist pump, and he's like a quarter of an inch from an opponent's face because he didn't know that guy was coming. It's amazing we don't have more accidental collisions like that in a hockey game. Well, and, and think the the one I always think about was back in the day, and it was the Florida Panthers. Ready right? was uh, Keith Ballard and Thomas Vokun. Was it Vokun? Mm. Where oh, Ballard was angry, a puck went in, and he he went to smash his stick against mm. the uh, crossbar, and and he just hit Vokun like full you remember that one you could break an arm doing that yeah yes it was just it's you're right you know you could probably only count on one hand where that's kind of you get taken out by friendly fire like that in a hockey game well it's like every time you see a guy flip over the boards or you know someone delivers a really nasty hip check and the guy goes you know feet up in the air like that i'm always amazed that we don't have guys getting cut by skate blades 40 times a night like it's incredible how dangerous it is and how infrequently that happens in a scrum where you got like 13 guys on the ice all co- you know in a pile on the floor how does nobody lose a hand like it's yeah, incredible yeah. that this doesn't happen more often you know what and the and the one i always think about this are referees and linesmen who don't usually yeah. have any protection on their hands yeah and they're and they're they're the ones diving oh. in there trying to stop it yeah. Okay. Now I'm getting squeamish. Now I'm getting squeamish <laughs> thinking about. It. I'm just saying, like every time this happens, I'm like, oh god, that's horrible. And how does it not happen more often? Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, so Shabbat tries to make good with with Hamannik. We'd love to hear from our listeners. If you ever accidentally hurt a teammate playing sports, youth sports, where like did you, you know, did you make it up with with some sort of gift or? It, it's some a sliding sort of... scale, right? Like Tom yeah. Brady's got to buy his offensive lineman Rolexes, but in little league, you got to like buy a, a pack of Fun Dip at the concession stand. Exactly. It's a, the sliding scale. Hey, speaking of those, uh, that higher tax bracket, let's slide uh, down to Florida. The Board of Governors are uh, meeting uh, two days. Um, have you ever covered one of these? I have not. I've, I've done some GM meetings before. They're excruciatingly awful to cover. You just yeah. literally sit on the floor in the hallway at the Bellagio or whatever for four or five hours only to find out the one guy you wanted to talk to found a back door and is already gone. Yeah. And one thing you learn too is that when you cover, and I've covered a couple of board of governors meetings or GM meetings, like, and you look at the, they're, they're usually older gentlemen that are here. And you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to stake out my spot in the lobby. And they, they, they somehow, they move with like the, the speed of a gazelle and they get, you're like, how did, it's like they have a flight to catch. You have, I have never seen anybody move as fast as NHL executives dispersing from a board of governors meetings to avoid the media. When you see Pierre Lebrun, you head the other way. Yeah. But I covered one years ago at the Breakers Hotel, which is where I believe there are again this week. It's Breakers Hotel in, in Florida. And I'm waiting there. And like This hotel's out kind of, there's nothing around, right? There's no like Waffle House or Denny's, something where I can, you know, enjoy a breakfast on my per diem, right? Right. So I go to the, uh, the restaurant in the hotel, in the Breakers. I order one omelet. It was $48. <laughs> one omelet. I'll never forget. Like I'm at, I'm covering and I'm like my entire per diem almost most like I think we got $70 or whatever it was back there. I'm like three quarters of my per diem just went on an omelet and it's not even 9 a.m. During the like, 2014, oh. during the 2014 Western <laughs> Conference final, it was Kings uh, Blackhawks. And uh, we were in LA and the, and the Hawks are staying at the Beverly Wilshire. Where like they got mad at the journalist for wearing jeans in the lobby. That's how bad it was. And at one point, I see Dave Bolin coming down the stairs. He goes, "Hey, Laz." I'm like, "Hey, what's going on?" He's like, "I just got a hundred and twenty dollars steak delivered to my room. How are you doing?" <laughs> hundred twenty dollars, and it probably wasn't even that good of a steak. 
You know what I feel like a lot of listeners don't realize too? Despite making three, four, five, ten million dollars a year, NHL players still get per diem on the road. Oh yeah, yeah. And it's I believe like a hundred and okay, I'm gonna ball. I, it's in the CBA, but I think it's like ballpark a hundred and twenty a day. Like and if you so that something like that, right? Like Dave Boland's stake, he's not yeah. paying for it and, really. And like, that's, it's, well, that's the thing. Like if you get room service, anything added to your room. The player has to pay for it. at least that's what it was a few years ago. I don't know if that's yes. changed yet. Yeah. Like yeah. the team pays for the hotel, obviously, but any incidentals, as they say, if you go, if you raid the mini bar, that's on you. So like Dave Bolin paid the hundred twenty dollars for that steak, but yeah, he got a per diem that easily covered that hundred twenty dollars. Yeah, and so I remember, like you know, if you travel with a team or been around a team, like when they leave on a road trip, let's say they're going on a seven day road trip, the travel person oh, envelope will hand out an envelope. Yeah. Yeah, like you, this is it's like a different world. And and it's it's cash. I can't stress this enough. So imagine you're you're watching and millionaires are getting handed envelopes of cash. And again, so let's say it's a seven day trip, it's about a thousand dollars in there yep. in cash. And that's just their money to have to just to do whatever they want with. And the staffers would get them too, maybe not quite as much. Yes. They got a big per diem, and all of them would just pocket the cash and go to McDonald's for six bucks for their lunch. Big and time. That's how, they, that's how they got their own Christmas bonus. Or, or or they would try and eat the team meal, right? You know, right. And and, and you know, just try pocket to pocket the, the money. Yeah, yeah or absolutely. that's your yeah, absolutely your money to buy uh, Christmas gifts. Anyway, so I, I feel like <laughs> not enough people realize NHL players also get per diem on top of. You know, their salary. It's, just, it's is, a rough life. Wild. It's a really rough life. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so anyway, the Board of Governors are down in, in Florida. And this is actually the 30th anniversary. This So 30 years ago in 1992, at these same meetings at this same spot is when the NHL said, you know what? We're going to hire Gary Bettman as our uh, our new commissioner is, is going to be Gary Bettman. They used to have a president. No, no, no. It's going to be a commissioner. And now I'm seeing all, you know, and you're going to see this too when, when I think February 1st is the official 30th anniversary of Gary's, uh, you know, start of his tenure. And you're going to see a lot of articles written about his influence and all, you know, it's, it's a really complicated legacy, isn't it? Like there is absolutely some good. And I think it's important to like the, the league is the revenue pie has expanded and all of that stuff has expanded, but you could also argue that would have happened regardless of who was sitting in the pilot seat. Right. right? It felt like, well, like in, in some ways, but Gary, yeah. Gary deserves credit for the, the Sunbelt expansion. That was a risk that a lot of people wouldn't have taken. And you've had huge successes in Tampa, in Nashville, you know, LA when they were winning any in Dallas right now is, is, is a great town for hockey all of a sudden. Like there are examples of success and the money has gone up, but like you said, it would have grown regardless. Right. And the, you, the three lockouts, what were the damage that were done uh, by those to the fan base? You know, the, the league is financially healthy right now. But look at baseball right now. Baseball is a dying sport, right? Everybody says it's a dying sport. Well, the, the top salary 30 years ago was Bobby Bonilla, making a little over $6 million. Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander are making $43 million now each a year. In, in hockey, when Bettman took over, I was just looking this up, Eric Lindros was the top salary about 3.3. And the top now is McDavid at 12.5. And now a lot of that's the hard cap. What would McDavid get on the open market? I don't know. It wouldn't be $43 million a year. And I realize baseball has bigger stadiums and more home dates. That plays into it. But the fact is, hockey has not expanded at the rate the other sports have financially. If you look at the top salaries in all the other sports, they're astronomical compared to the NHL, which 
is kind of plodding along nicely, but not at that same level. So the league is healthy, but if you're a player, you look at Gary Bettman and he's still the devil. And, and it's, it is remarkable that he, he's the only commissioner or league head in the major four sports to wipe out an entire season, yep. start to finish. And that was 15, oh, sorry, 17 years ago. Okay, I guess my point would be this. Let's let's take a DeLorean back to 2005. And the season's been canceled, all of that. And imagine saying to everybody, 17 years from now, Gary Bettman will still be the commissioner of the NHL. <laughs> I don't I don't think we would have believed it, would we? No, I I mean he was such a such a a, a vilified figure at the time and yeah. and and you know, to a large degree rightly so. But at the same time, you have to look at both sides of this. How healthy would the NHL be right now without a salary cap? If you had the Pittsburgh Pirates, New York Mets difference in the NHL, what would that look like? What would what would Chicago's salary cap look like right now if they never had to make all those cap dumps over the years and Arizona was still in the league? Like, how bad would it be? So, like, you know, I, I, I'm generally pro-worker and I'm anti-salary cap on principle, but as a sports fan, it's undeniable that a salary cap makes for a better sport. A better yeah, league. and you know, yeah, and 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 look, he it cost them an entire year to get the system. Uh, you know, could they have done it without missing a year? I guess we'll never know. But look, we we are where we are, and I, and I agree with you. And I think one one area where Gary deserves some credit, where I don't think he gets it, um, he's worked really hard to keep certain Canadian teams in their markets, and yep. and and right people can. And and keep, people can point back to well they lost Winnipeg well that was a different time he brought Winnipeg came back but you know Edmonton and Calgary and Ottawa they were on thin ice for a period there in the late nineties early two thousands Ottawa went bankrupt um, Edmonton had shaky ownership uh, and Gary was a steady unseen hand and, and I know it's real popular for Canadian fans to dunk on Gary Bettman uh, for kind of because I think there hasn't been a Canadian based team that's won a Stanley Cup in any season in which Bettman's been the commissioner of the full, for the full year, right? He, he takes over in Feb, February of 93, the Habs win the cup a few months later, but then never again. Right. And it's easy to people will say like, you know, connect the dots, this guy, it's conspiracy. Man, Gary Bettman's done a lot to keep Canadian teams it, where they it, are. If he's conspiring against the Canadian teams, why is Connor McDavid and Edmonton and Austin Matthews in Toronto right now? I, I mean, well, that's not I mean look, 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 we all know Arizona's not winning the draft lottery the next three years. We all know that. <laughs> That'll magically not happen. But the fact yeah. that Connor McDavid's in Edmonton basically destroys any conspiracy theory you could possibly have against Gary Bettman in Canada. I'm sorry, Quebec. Yeah. It's not going to happen for you. It's never going to happen for you. It's just a fact of life. But you, you cannot say that Gary Bettman is anti-Canadian. No. And that, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a great point where, the, where, where those star players have uh, have ended up and uh, yeah, anyway, you're going to see a lot of Batman pieces, I think today and certainly in February and um, the 30th anniversary. I don't, I don't even know really what else is coming out of these, um, you know, board of governors meetings. The one thing I'd love to see them do though, is we talk about, you know, I think you have a great point on, you know, the salaries probably haven't risen. Uh, like I remember Bobby Holik signed a crazy deal uh, back in the day with the Rangers. It was like 8 million per like, in today's standards, it, you know, he, it, it wouldn't like, it wouldn't be that, I don't know. I guess I, I, my point would be like, go back and look at like what Peter Forsberg was making. And some of these guys, the top end players today aren't making that much more. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, right. Jonathan, like, like, Jonathan Taze and Patrick Kane, when they signed their $10.5 million contracts that mm -hmm. are just expiring now, that was eight years ago. 
In yep. eight years, the top salary's gone up $2 million because the cap doesn't go up enough because it's set that way. It's designed, the system is designed to make sure salaries don't go up the way they go up in the other sports. I mean, you know, the NFL and the NBA are salary cap leagues, but they're different kind of caps and they have a lot higher cap because there's just so much more revenue. Patrick Mahomes is making like $50 million a year. LeBron James is making like $50 million a year. Connor McDavid is on the level with those two guys. He's the same thing in hockey. He's making 12.5. He's making just 2 million more than Patrick Kane signed eight years ago. And that's the system design working as it was designed to do, which is to, you know, prevent salary growth. Yeah. If I was the NHLPA, you know what I'd love to do? If if the owners aren't going to get off of this hard cap, uh, this is where we're at. And the upper limit is the upper limit. Um, I think they got to figure out a way to, to allow teams like Arizona, like, you know, pick whoever, Buffalo, Ottawa has been in that boat that they've got available cap space, allow them to trade it. So that money is used in the ecosystem. Right. It's not just sitting dead. Right. Like again, and maybe you put a limit on it so that the Rangers and the Leafs and whoever you think are the heavy hitters don't, don't get to a hundred million while some teams are at, you know, it becomes the pirate Met thing that you're talking about. But but that money is sitting there. Like there, there's dead money that, that certain teams aren't using. That's there in the in the system. And cap space is so valuable. You see what teams yes. are willing to give up just to dump a contract. Imagine what they give up. You know, who wouldn't give up a first round pick for five million dollars in cap space to give to be able to re-sign your best player and not have yes. them, you know, forced out. I mean, imagine if the Blackhawks could have kept Artemi Panarin with Patrick Kane for the last five years because they weren't worried about his contract in two years you know they would have just bought that money and i I don't know if i like that because again it it increases the disparity between the best and the worst and you know like it or not the nhl salary cap works in terms of keeping things relatively fair and competitive but it would be a fascinating discussion to see what teams would be willing to give up for just a few million dollars of cap space just the 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 huge difference it would make to some of these teams that are just up against it yeah you know it's funny because i think a lot of what we're saying it almost sounds like Hey, did Alan Walsh feed these guys a script? Uh, and 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 the other thing, and, and, and why I'm going to bring Alan into this is because I think it's a segue into our next topic, is one of the things that Alan Walsh is most critical of Gary Bettman is the handling of concussions and, mm-hmm. and brain injury. And the reason why I want to bring this up is we've got our NHL 99 series running. And for a lot of listeners, I think you've been paying attention. You know that we've been running down, counting down the best uh, 99 players from 99 down to one. Uh, uh, you know, uh, in, in the modern era and on the weekend, it was the turn of Scott Stevens and and look, Stevens in his heyday was certainly the most feared defenseman on the planet. Um, you think about the hit on Lindros, you think about the hit on, uh, you know, I think it was Kozlov in in Detroit and, um, Paul Korea and, you know, go through the list. It, it's hard to think of Scott Stevens and your initial reaction isn't a a bone-jarring head at the blue line. He was intimidation personified for a team that won three straight Stanley Cups. And I know that Sean Fitzgerald wrote the article on Scott Stevens, his legacy, and it kind of went two ways, didn't it? Well, yeah. I mean, he, he, he was getting destroyed in the comments but uh, by, by angry, mostly angry Devils fans, I'm sure. But uh, it, 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 it's, it's an interesting discussion, right? Because we're doing this series. And you don't want it to just be a hagiography of everybody, right? You don't want it to be these halcyon memories of the greatest players ever. We want to present them in, in, in the light of context, of historical context. And Scott, see, there was a quote from a doctor in, in, in Sean's story that I thought was perfect, a Canadian neurosurgeon, uh, Charles Tater. He was a fantastic athlete, no question. 
but he caused brain damage in my view. And that's not something to be proud of. And, you know, in the last 30 years, I think all of us have evolved as hockey fans, as sports fans, with all the knowledge we have about concussions and the lasting damage and CTE and all of these things, we have a better understanding of the damage that those hits that we all love to see. Everyone goes, oh, it comes out of their seats and it's all exciting. I don't want to see them anymore. I don't want to see. I don't want to see Jacob Truba, you know, taking guys out on stretchers just because he's six foot seven and huge. I don't want to see these big hits anymore. For me, hockey has evolved. It's about speed. It's about skill. It's about talent. I want to see Connor McDavid. I want to see Nathan McKinnon. I don't want to see Jacob Truba. And I don't want to see Scott Stevens. I don't want to see players like that. So I thought it was great that's that that Sean, you know, put it in its context. And you know, Scott Stevens was an all-time legendary defenseman. Deserves all that credit. But 30 years later, legacies change. We can look at it through a different light. And I think it's important that we do that with this series. It's, it is a really tough one because it's hard, right? Because I think you'll hear some people saying you can't apply today's you know, principles or beliefs onto things that happened 20, 30 sure. years ago. And, and, and I, I'm mindful of it, but you're right. Like we're, we're much more aware of the damage caused by CTE and, and concussions that certainly when like, let me put it this way. When Eric Lindros was playing there in the late nineties, it was not uncommon to hear that this guy's soft, like that, you know, this guy's trying to come back from concussions and we would vilify his family for stepping in and trying to defend. We were like, his family's getting involved and he's not a team player. Like, like it, it's funny, you know, as much as, we kind of look differently maybe on Stevens. I think the narratives flipped on Lindros to the same extent. Like, do you, do you not feel that way that we almost look back and I think I, I personally, I wasn't covering the league. I was too young. I was kind of a kid kind of when Lindros broke in, but I, I think I look back with a little bit of guilt in the way that I viewed Eric yeah. Lindros at the time. Oh, I, and you, there, you there, know what I mean? There's so many things. I mean, I mean, we're both, you know, of an older generation now and there's so many things when you look back in your youth and you're like, Oh my God, I'm embarrassed by that. I mean, I'm ashamed of that. Yeah. And, and that's part of it is the way we treated our athletes back then. We, we treated them like they weren't human beings, right? They were just, you know, laundry to go out and, 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 and entertain us and dance for us. And it was, you know, I agree. I think Lindros, the, the, looking back on him, you know, I don't think of him as soft now when I look back. I think of him as a, as a, a, as a incredible career cut short and how yeah. unfortunate that is. And I know that, you know, hockey, it's a contact sport. It's a man's game, yada, yada, yada. We're going to hear all that. I don't give a shit about any of that. I just don't. That's not what I want to see anymore. I don't want to see these guys fight. I don't want to see Jujar Kara, six months after being taken off on a stretcher, fighting a guy and taking punches in the head because he has to defend himself over something that happened six months ago. That's not entertaining to me anymore. I'm not 12 years old anymore. You know, that's not what I want to see. And I, I think, you know, as for the Steven story, I mean, People are mad. I go, you know, this is supposed to be celebrating the athletes. And that's not really what the assignment was. The assignment was find a specific angle that maybe hasn't been written as much before on these guys. And Sean did the assignment perfectly, better than all of us, better than I did with Duncan Keith and with uh, Jonathan Taves. You know, with Jonathan Taves, I certainly could have written about the Kyle Beach story, right? But I had written that six months earlier about his complicated legacy. I'd already written that story. So I wrote about, you know, how he was one of the best players in the world, me and Dom combined on that. But these aren't supposed to be just, fawning pieces over how great a guy was they're supposed to be putting them in their historical context yes they were great this is why they were great and this is what we should remember about them and it's not always going to be positive positive. and scott stevens was a great hockey player who did a lot of things that looking back on we shouldn't be happy about 
Yeah, and I, I think in the NFL, like you used to see safeties would come over the middle. Oh, God, yeah. Leading with their head. and t- like Ronnie Lotto is killing guys out there. Yeah, and, you know, I, I wonder now, like, like I, I guess my question would be, and I'm a huge football fan, but, like, do we look at Ronnie Lott differently? I, it's funny because that's the guy I was thinking of. Yeah, well, that was his whole, he built a, he built a career on it, right? Yeah, like, he was like a heat-seeking missile in the yeah. secondary, and you didn't want to go over the middle. And, I mean, now do we say to ourselves, like, uh, do we do we look at Ronnie Lott differently, or do we just say, look, at the time, based on the rules of the time, yeah, no, he, was he did lo- what he, he had loud. to do, yeah. but he wouldn't be able to thrive. I guess my question would be this on Stevens. Like, is there anybody in the game, like, I mean, I know, like, Radko Gudis or whatever would be, like, the, I don't know. I, I'm having a hard, I guess my point is, I'm having a hard time, who would be the guy? Truba? Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Yeah. A very, an extremely talented hockey player who doesn't need to do the stuff that he does extracurricularly. You know, like a very like Scott Stevens was a great skater and a great player and a great defenseman and a great scorer. He didn't need to murder people out there. And it's just like Tom Wilson, who's just a freight train out there. He can play a skill game. He doesn't need to headhunt. But every year, it seems I mean, it's been a while, frankly, that since we've had one of those. But, you know, these guys are talented enough. And Stevens is a perfect example of a guy who, you know, there's plenty to talk about besides the hits. But that's what we remember is the hits. And, 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 you know, with him, like, look, I want there to be place in hockey for contact to allow players to separate an opponent from the yes. post, right? Four check. Compl- I want to make that clear. Your checks on the four check. Absolutely. It's, it's the ones where it looks like the guy's trying to separate the guy's head from his body, that, that, yes. that, that's not right. what it's meant to be. Uh, but, but it's tough because Stevens was uh, in his era. I think you could probably say this about Pronger. I think you could probably say this about a few other guys. That they were they were so feared. They bought themselves a little extra real estate. Yeah. They yeah. they they did some things that at the time it served a purpose beyond injuring guys. Yeah. So, but you know, it's hard because at the time, like they they wouldn't thrive today, but by the same token, maybe Eric Carlson wouldn't have thrived at times back then, right? Or, right, or you know, Scott pick, Stevens would have murdered him, exactly. Pick, pick a guy, right? And then and it just depends on, you know, what what's the style you'd like to see and I'd like to see that, you know, I love the, I'm trying to think of a good, like a, like a good example would be like Jerome McGinley, where I felt like Jerome for the most part played the game pretty honestly. I, I, although Sean McAdoo and I always say, be careful because it's going to turn out some one random fan base out there. There's going to be one (laughs) Jerome McGinley hit against like Washington and all these Capitals fans. But, but you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a way to play the game physically and honestly. Yeah. I think there's a way to do it. I still. think there is too. And, and I think that's what we're teaching young kids today. If you watch your younger kid hockey, you know, they, they don't hit until they're much older now than they used to. So it's not their first instinct. Their first instinct is to lift a stick and pick a guy's pocket. Their first instinct is to go around someone. Their first instinct is to steer them to the boards instead of just leveling them in open ice. And I think that's a positive. I think, you know, every year it gets better. Like if you look at hockey, 15, 20 years ago, you look at hockey 10 look at the way the Los Angeles Kings played in the early 2010s. That heavy, physical style. They yeah. were awesome. And they weren't dirty, but they were heavy and they played a hard game. Nobody plays that way anymore. And that was eight years ago. That's just not the game evolves. And you know, these big, huge open ice hits that, you know, get you on Sports Center and get you uh, endlessly looped on a gift forever, they're 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 a lot less frequent than they used to be, and they're gonna continue to be less frequent because that's not what the game is anymore. It's a speed game. It's a skill game. And it's a much, much better game than it ever was. 
Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You know, you talk about, you know, how the game has shifted. You know, somebody who could probably speak to this and how it's changed from the 90s to now is Yaramir Yager. Yager, oh, of course, plays. That is such a professional transition. Yeah. He's good at this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's my years of being a radio host have come back in uh, on this podcast. But, you know, Yager is a guy that, look, in the in the 90s, was in that Patrick division and would have seen Scott Stevens. And yep. um, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm never going to see Yaramir Yager play again until I look on the internet and see on the weekend the Cladno club that he's a, a partial owner of. Um, they were down several bodies. There was, a, I guess, a flu virus uh, ran through the team. And Yaramir Yager, at the age of 50, suits up, uh, Laz, and picks up two primary assists. Like, who else can roll out at the age of 50 into a professional league, pick up a pair of primary assists? Now, his team did get clowned 7-3, to three, but that's <laughs> besides the point. Besides the point. That's remarkable to me. Absolutely. I, I covered, my first job out of school was covering the Penguins in 2001, and it was Yager's last year in Pittsburgh. He had already been in the league 11 years and that was 20, 21 years ago. And here he is. He's still playing. It's just incredible to me. And you know, I was actually out there a few years ago. The Blackhawks opened the season in Prague. And I rented a car and, and took about a 45-minute drive out to Kladno to visit Yager. And he's on the ice. He's, he was 47 at the time. He's on the ice wearing this little camo weighted vest, 45-pound weighted vest, ankle weights on his ankles. A 90-minute practice where he's just talking about clowning guys, just clowning his, the players that he owns. And just, you know, humiliating them with how good he was. Uh, and then he was, he comes off the ice. He's like, I got to run to Prague to get this guy's visa. He was the PR guy for the team. He was hosting yeah. a Chinese national team. He had to run to Prague like three times a week to get visas and passports for his players. And then he would come back. He would do like an hour long workout. He'd go on the ice again for another 45 minutes. He was on the ice four or five times a day at age 47. Gosh. It's just, there's never been a creature like Yarmir Yager. He is a singular entity in the history of the sport. God love him. Wow. Yeah, that it is. It's remarkable that he's able to come back. And I love that. I love that you you have that anecdote there of, of Kladno because, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people are. And he didn't. That's the thing, the thing, he didn't really want to do that. He felt like he had to because it was the only way to keep the team afloat because he knew he was the star attraction. On the outside of the arena, this like dinky little, you know, rundown arena, there were seven posters of Yager and like different NHL jerseys, like different eras of the mullet as it was going on. Like he understands he's the main attraction. And even if he wanted to stop, he couldn't because he was the only thing keeping the team afloat. If you, if you look at the NHL world, here's the guy I think, like if you think of like what team would be ravaged by injuries that they would have to call like an executive or somebody to come in, it's got to be Rod Brindamore, right? Like Rod Mario? Brindamore. Could, could Mario hop out there? Ooh. 
I don't. You think so? Well, I don't know. Okay, now if we're gonna go from the owner's suite, yeah, I, <laughs> Mario would be the the, the pick. It, it's not gonna uh, be Rocky Words, I'll tell you that. <laughs> but but really, like, my I think my pick might be Rod Brindamore. Like if yeah. some if the Carolina team was ravaged by injury, like he just looks so fit. You, you, you know, we have we have a generation of coaches like that now: Brindamore, Craig Berube, Luke Richardson in Chicago. You've oh yeah, got these like. These guys who are like 50 years old but still look like they're 35 and are still built like they're 35 that you know could just go out there. And speaking of, you know, separating a player's head from his body, all three of those guys could do that. Um, there, There's definitely a, a generation of coaches out there right now that could probably pull off a shift or two. Wow. But could they pull off a six-minute shift? That's the question. So Jack Hughes, <laughs> this, is, this is unbelievable. Jack Hughes on the weekend has a six-minute and two-second shift in an eventual loss to the Islanders. Uh, since the league started tracking shift length, nobody, and it, it, 07, 08, though, right, is the only, is it, that 2007, yes. 2008 is the first year the league officially kept track of shift length. Um, Jack Hughes skated for six minutes and two seconds. All right, uh, I'm, 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 I'm going to be the wet blanket here. Okay. There were seven. I looked it up just before this podcast. There were seven stoppages during that six minute and two seconds. He yeah. wasn't skating for six consecutive minutes. He wasn't like you see those shifts that the, uh, uh, the Blackhawks had one in LA a couple weeks ago where Caleb Jones and Alec Regula got hemmed in their own zone for four straight minutes, defending for four straight minutes. I think cherry picking down three goals, goal hanging for six minutes with seven stoppages and a bunch of icings. It's not impressive. It, 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 it looks better on a stat sheet than it does in when you're actually watching, is all I'm saying. Jack Hughes is what, 23 years old? He can stay on the ice for six minutes with seven stoppages. I'm just and there saying. Was, a t- was a TV timeout in there too? I believe there was, yeah. I mean, yeah, six minutes I, long, yeah. Okay. Like he had, t- he had time to catch his breath and grab a, a, a quick drink of water every now and then. But, and it's not like, and we were talking about this just before we came on, that there's the classic story in the, in the 90s. Mike Keenan's coaching the Rangers. And... <laughs> Alexi, a young Alexi Kovalev is having a terrible game or a terrible shift or whatever. And Keenan refuses to let him come off the ice, right? Like he's like, <laughs> no, you stay on there. And people will tell you that that was like a seven minute shift or whatever, yeah. an eight minute shift, right? For uh, Alex Kovalev. I, I wish we were tracking. I think tracking most players that. would be like, yeah, keep, you give me all the ice time you want, man. I'm, I'm never going to complain about getting more ice time. I don't think they're ever going to complain about that. No. But, no, then it's, but it's, an, it's another example of how much the game has changed, right? Because if you go back to the 60s and 70s when these guys were moving like four miles an hour out there, they would regularly have three or four-minute shifts. Like that's like a, a normal Bobby Hole, Stan Makita shift was like three minutes long. Now, because the game is so fast and so breakneck speed, you know, 40 seconds, these guys, peak athletes in the, in the prime of their lives, are completely gasping for air on the bench after a 40-second shift. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, it's true. Yeah, yeah and I, I was double checking this. So the the Kovalev uh, shift was seven minutes. Nice, seven minutes. And you know what though? The funny thing is, that's the year the Rangers won the Stanley, the, the go on to win the Stanley Cup. So, I mean, he's teaching him a lesson. He's punishing him, but but I guess I, it, it paid off. That's a, it, that is that's quintessential Keenan, right? Like that's Tortorella, Keenan. I can't think of any other coach that that would that would a get away with it, b even think of doing it. Oh, it's so old school, so old school, and and then and then at the end of the year, then Keenan bolts for St. Louis, right, right, right. Like, yeah, he, he he preaches commitment, and then he's like, by the way, 
the, uh, the shelf life on Mike Keenan was very short. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, he just bounced around. You know, I suddenly had this memory of, okay, this just, just came into my, my mind. I never knew if Keenan was joking with me or not. So this would have been Eric Carlson ended up winning his first Norris Trophy 2011-2012. Okay, so about, you know, 10 years ago, whatever. So the 11-12 season, I'm a TV reporter. I'm the... um like the rinkside reporter for for Ottawa games on Sportsnet. So doing the interviews, intermission interviews, whatever, right? in-game features, all that stuff that you see from your regular uh, uh, television host. And I'm in Madison Square Garden. This is at some point in that season, late in the season. And again, Cross is having a great year. We're like, holy cow, this guy could be with the Norris Trophy. Mike Keenan, I believe, is working for MSG at the time. You know, he's working for somebody. And he's there along the glass at MSG, uh, I'm there near the glass. We're watching the game. He turns to me and says, what's, uh, who's this 65? And I didn't know if he was joking. I literally, I, I don't, I still to this day don't know. He was like, who is 65? And I, what did I you don't say? know. If, what, what did you I was say? like, oh yeah, he's having a great year. He's, he's just fun to watch. And, and Keenan just kind of looked at me, and, like, and it was just so weird. Like, this guy's about to win the Norris Trophy, and you're asking me who's 65? Like, I think he was joking. I think he was joking. There, there, are, there's certain, there are a bunch of hockey people like that, where they, when they deadpan, you just don't know. Like, they're messing with you, or are they just that, like, kind of myopic, myopic with their blinders on, that they're not paying attention to that team because it's not one that's relevant to them? There, there, there are a very – someone once called one. I won't say which player it was, but someone said, oh, yeah, he's really unsettling. There are a lot of unsettling people in the hockey world where it's like, are they are they messing with me? I don't, and you just kind of like grin and smile and nod awkwardly and then try to get through your questions because you just don't know. And Mike Keenan, I never dealt with him. He's a little before my time, but he struck me as one of those guys who would be very unsettling. Yeah. Now, did you have, have you had one coach that, that you've, you know, had is, not issues with, but like, you tread cautiously in, in the conferences or media availabilities? Uh, a high school football coach in Northwest Indiana, Griffith High School, Russ Radke, what? was the scariest person I'd ever talked to. He well, was how like, old were you at the time? I was, oh, I was in my 30s. Like, there's no excuse. What? I was like late 20s, <laughs> early 30s. But hey. he was, I was so in, like, like, I wasn't like afraid of him, but I like, I knew that like, if you asked one question just worded slightly the wrong way, he was going to shut it down. Like he wasn't, he did not suffer fools lightly. And he thought everybody was a fool. And just, it was terrifying to interview him because I'm like, if I do it wrong, he won't talk to me for the rest of the year. And this is the best team in the area of all the teams we cover. And it's funny because I once saw him at a Menards, a hardware store. And it was it's like, it's like when you see your teachers out in the wild, it's always disturbing. Well, yeah. here he is, big, mean old Russ Radke, like supplicating himself to some 19-year-old girl who was working there part-time, trying to find a tool that he couldn't find. Hi, miss, can, can you please help me find the... Uh, the, the the jigsaws and it was like it was like seeing an alien it's like what is happening here and i'm like hiding behind one of the uh end caps because i don't want him to see me because i'm like watching this like safari thing happen in front of me but <laughs> there, there, there's guys like that at every level there are coaches like that at every single level where there's just is this like a real human being is this like how how a real human being behaves yeah oh yeah you're right yeah that th th those those questions when you ask them the wrong way and they just mm. shut you down right it's uh so it's it, tough, it, it depends, thing. right? Because some guys, you know, are, are, they're just naturally combative. And if you ask the question the wrong way, it'll turn out great. Corey Crawford hated almost everything I ever asked him. But he would give me the best quotes because he would be like, 
no, that's wrong. And then he would tell me why I was wrong about something. Like, I'm like, oh, you lost eight nothing today. Tough game out there. Oh, I didn't think we played that bad. And then he would go on like a thing about it. It was great. Like everything I asked was wrong, but he went for it. The guys that just shut down completely, the Tortorellas of the world, who won't even entertain a question they think is dumb, they're the ones that are challenging to work with. You know, to, to Torch's credit, one time I, I asked him, I feel like I've maybe told this story in the podcast before. I'll tell it again real quick. Uh, the Rangers were, this was when he was with the Rangers, and he's in town in Ottawa. There's a scrum. And I asked him a question. I started asking a question about, you know, John, when you look at the standings, and, you, and he cut me off, no, no. And, and, and I started again. He's like, no, I don't talk about the standings. No, cut me off. Anyway, so I had to ask another question or whatever. I, you know, fumbled away, whatever. The scrum ends and I'm walking away. And to his, he actually came, this is the weirdest thing, came over to me. He put his arm around me. I, sw- I swear on my children's heads this happened. And he said, hey, I'm sorry about that. I just don't like talking about the standings. <laughs> he could have said it that way the first time. Yeah, but it was just like. But that's the thing know, about Tortorella, though. Everyone says what a great guy he is away from a hockey rink he's out there saving dogs and stuff like he's like a good guy but just something about when they're when their brain switches into hockey mode they just become just sociopaths it's like you know when elaine bennis rolls in to order some soup and it's like you don't order it the right way you're gonna be in some hot water it's like, that's like dealing with certain coaches like yeah. you got it's got to be phrased just so yeah yeah you gotta you gotta do you gotta do the dance the right way otherwise you know someone's stepping on your toes yeah. All right. And, and anyway, I know we talked about being of a certain age earlier, but I, I think Seinfeld and Lee Mazzilli reference. You can't do this with away. Julian yeah. McKenzie, is all I'm saying. He's going to be like, who's Elaine Bennis? Who's Lee Mazzilli? Yeah. Who's Evans? This, this is a special vintage edition of yeah. the Monday Athletic Hockey Show. Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it. Tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Let's uh, let let's actually chat about a team that you cover, obviously Chicago. And you know, there's there's something I do want to talk to you about, and that is Patrick Kane. Because as the season goes on, in fact, we did our bold predictions, and this was kind of, and we revisited them. And I'm curious now, uh, as you look into your your dusty crystal ball here, uh, how we feel about Patrick Kane in Chicago finishing this season. Or does he get traded? Or like what? Like you're so w- close to this situation, I feel like you've got a a good read on it. What's your What's your gut telling you right now on Patrick Kane? You know, I felt like I had a good read on it entering the season, early in the season. Everyone kept asking this every time I go into another city. All the writers would ask me that. Some players would ask me that, and I always said the same thing. 
I, and I was in the minority. I believe that Patrick Kane was looking for a reason to stay, that he wants to be a Blackhawk for life, that he loves Chicago, that he's loyal to an organization that has been fiercely loyal to him over the years. And he was just looking for a reason to stay. But over the last several weeks, as reality has set in on just how awful things are in Chicago right now for this team and just how far away they are from competing, you know, Kane turned 34 just a couple of weeks ago. 34. He's getting up there in age. There's only so much time left. His biological clock is ticking <laughs> like that. And I'm starting to think that he still probably wants to stay, but I don't think it's realistic that he can stay at this point. You know, it, 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 it's going to be a Claude Giroux situation where he can just basically dictate where he goes. And if he wants to go to New York and the Rangers are out of contention and or they won't make a deal, he might just shut it down and say, I'm going to stay and then you know be a free agent in the summer and then reevaluate. That could happen. But I do believe he's going to waive his no movement clause uh, as we get closer to the deadline here. Because I just, you know, his numbers are down. He's not producing because he's just, look who he's surrounded with. He's on, you know, Max Domi's fine. Andreas Athanasiu is fine. Jonathan Taves is fine. But these aren't the kind of high end players he's used to playing. They're not Alex Dabrinkit. They're not even Dylan Strom. They're certainly not Artemi Panarin. It's not Nick Schmaltz. I mean, it's not Ryan Hartman. He's gone through a lot of guys over the years. And I just think he looks around and realizes, even if Connor Bedard shows up next year, this is still a three or four year project. And does he still want to be doing this for 38 by when he's 38? Because, you know, he's, he's won three cups, but he hasn't done, he hasn't won a playoff series in seven years now. Yeah. Seven years. The last time they won a playoff series is the last time they won a cup. So it's not like this is just starting the process. This is half a decade into the process with maybe half a decade to go. And I think, I think, I don't know. But I think that's starting to kind of smack him in the face a little bit. You know, when, when I think of Kane, I, I remember, I, I believe you've written this before that, that you know, he, he kind of wants to be, maybe go down in history, the greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time. And like, yeah. s- statistically speaking, he's still got a little bit of a ways to go though, right? To chase down some of those records. To get Bobby Hull's goals record and Makita's points record, he's going to need at least three or four more seasons. Yeah. So it's not like I get, okay. So here's my question. If he goes somewhere at the deadline or next summer, if somebody asks you, who's the greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time? Cause you know what? In, in this uh, Monday episode, we do something called multiple choice madness. So this is going to be my multiple choice question for you. If you're voting today, greatest Chicago Blackhawk of all time, I'm going to say Bobby Hall, Stan Makita, Patrick Kane, and, you know, if you want to throw in uh, Tony Esposito, you want to throw in uh, Taves, you want to, th- heck, some people might say Denny Savard, whatever it is. What's your answer on that? Duncan Keith. There you go. See, Duncan Keith, another name. It's Duncan Keith. I, Duncan Keith is, I think, a singular talent in the Blackhawks event. And because you can compare, and Kane is very, very close. Don't get me wrong. It, I, I, I'm a big, it, there's recency bias here, but I just, I have a hard time elevating anyone who played hockey in the 1960s against five other teams to what the hockey players have to do now. Patrick Kane is, Connor McDavid is clearly the best hockey player that ever lived to me. That's not a knock on Wayne Gretzky, but if you dropped Connor McDavid into it right now, as, as he's built now into the 1980s, he'd score 120 goals without a, without a doubt in my mind. So there's that. But Patrick Kane accomplished more than Stan Mikita did. Accomplished more than Bobby Hull. The, the Cups the, the Hart Trophy, the Conn Smythe, all of that weighs into it. Patrick Kane is the best American-born player in history. No offense to Mike Madonna, Brian Leach, or any of those guys. It's Patrick Kane. But 
if you had if you had if I had to take out one guy from those Blackhawks great teams, it's Duncan Keith. He's the one who made everything go, and I think he is the best Blackhawk of all time. Yeah, and you know what? And see, I appreciate your answer because I'll be honest, being on the outside. I don't, I, and clearly when I ran through the options, uh, Keith wasn't even on my yeah. radar. And I, I don't and think he would be on most yeah. people's, but it, it, yeah. if, if you were around, and again, it's no knock on Kane and Taves, who were all time players. And Taves is like, I wrote a whole thing about Taves is way better than people think he was. Like Taves was a elite, elite player for a number of years. And Kane still is an elite player, but Duncan Keith was the heart and soul of those teams. He was the engine and none of it happens without him. You know, it's funny you mentioned that Kane's not surrounded by the same talent as he's had in recent years. Look, Alex DeBrincat had a pair of 40-goal seasons riding shotgun with Kane, and they clearly had some chemistry. Uh, DeBrincat's off to a pretty pedestrian start in Ottawa. We'll call it that. Um, only three even-strength goals so far this season. I think uh, seven goals in total now, six, six or seven, whatever it is. Um, yeah, he's producing some points, but he's not... You know, I figured he would be the guy that could potentially score 35 or 40 goals in Ottawa this season. And you know what? Last, he, right now, he's kind of trending to what he looked like in 2019-2020, which yep. was an 18-goal season. And people were like, ooh, what's wrong with Alex DeBrincat? If you had to look at this situation, because a lot of people are just saying, well, he's not playing with Patrick Kane. Like, how much of Alex DeBrincat's success, in your estimation, was playing alongside Patrick Kane? It certainly plays in there. You can't ignore that you're playing with one of the great playmakers in the league. And certainly, you know, Kane made Debrinket better. But Debrinket, you could also see that Kane is, you know, under a point a game in a, in a year where everyone's at a point a game. Debrinket made Kane better, too. Debrinket's a really good hockey player. And he's a good passer. And it's not just a, a one-timer from the left circle. Like, he's a really good player. And the thing about being a shooter, sometimes the shots don't go in, right? You go back to the 1920 season, he had like an 8% shooting percentage. And then the next year, it went back to 20. And then I think last year was around 14 or 15. And this year, he's back to about 7 or 8. And that's going to happen with shooters. Shooters are going to go through stretches where the puck doesn't go in. And yet, Dabrinkit might finish with 20, 25 goals this year instead of the 40, 45 you're hoping for. I wouldn't sweat it too much. I think that's just going to happen with pure shooters like that is sometimes the puck doesn't go in. He has proven when he bounced back from that 1920 season that he can bounce back from it and that the shot is still there. And eventually that's going to average out. You're going to regress to the mean positively here. And he'll probably finish at about 10 or 11%. And if he does that, he's going to be at 25 goals. He's going to be fine. And then next year will probably pop 50. That's just the way it works with shooters. Not everybody's Alex Ovechkin. Yeah. And actually that's the perfect place for us to wrap up uh, is on Ovechkin and his coach, Peter Laviolette. You know, every uh, Monday, Laz, we, we look back at the last seven days in hockey and we say, which coach did the best job or what team had the best week? And for me, it might be Washington. They've won yeah. four. They've gone 4-0. and oh. I think we got to give uh, Peter Laviolette our Jack Adams of the Week award because they outscored opponents 16-6. to six. They won all four games. But how do we feel about Ovi, who is clearly looking, you know, at this point, he's closing in on 800 and, and, and then eventually on, on the Gretzky record. Uh, he's out there with empty nets, and we saw it again last night. That's why Laviolette um, deserves the award. He keeps getting yeah. Alex Ovechkin empty net goals. Yeah, that, and, that's, and yeah. I, I like it. I, I mean, look, you're trying to get – look, we all know what's going on. The guy needs to to chase down a record. I'm okay with it. I'm okay with it. Yeah, Wayne Gretzky's got the all-time lead in empty net goals. Ovechkin's closing in on him. But that's how you get to 800 goals is by scoring some – and, you know, I, I, I don't like how people kind of dismiss empty net goals. Empty net goals are huge. Empty net goals are what wins you the game. You know, you, you, it, if it's 45 seconds left, you don't have to 
you know, what's better, a guy scoring a goal or like frantically defending and hoping the clock runs out? Empty net goals are killers. They're daggers. They're important and they're hard because you're basically playing shorthanded. But even to get the puck in open ice, that side of the ice takes some skill and talent. And there's no shame in empty net goals. Those are game-winning goals, game-clinching goals. And, you know, LaViolette, he's smart. He puts his best goal scorer out there every time there's an empty net. So he deserves the award. Yeah, absolutely. And look, Ovechkin, I don't know if we say this quietly, but he's, again, trending towards another 40-plus goal season this year. And if he does it, he'll break Gretzky's record for most 40-goal seasons in his career. And uh, you know, there's a little bit of Yarmar Yager in Ovechkin, isn't there? It just kind of yeah. keeps going. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Listen, this was great. As you sat in as uh, Lee Mazzilli sitting in, this was a lot of fun. Hour Old man hockey by. show. Old man hockey show. I, I still say, I always tell people, you know, I'm the same age as Tom Brady. And usually that makes me feel good. And then I watch Brady play on Sunday and I'm like, <laughs> nah, he kind of looked like me. I'm I'm younger than Tom Brady, so I I I I feel like I'm failing somehow. Like I should be doing there, something more with my life. <laughs> oh man, no, this was great. Hey, listen, like I said, thanks for pinch hitting. We always love having you on the Monday uh, podcast. Your uh, you know your insight is always uh, it's always appreciated and it's welcome. So listen, thanks for uh, for for uh, sitting in for Julian. Yeah, anytime, man. It's fun. Yeah. All right. And thanks, everybody, for listening to the Monday edition of the pod. Uh, follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Leave us a rating review. We certainly appreciate that. Uh, we've got a YouTube page uh, up as well. YouTube.com backslash uh, the at, uh, at the Athletic Hockey Show. You can check out all of our uh, our videos there. And also, did I just say backslash? Holy smokes. I, I, I am old. Backslash. I think it's just slash. Backslash. Dot HT. Oh, at, least you did, at least you didn't say HTTP colon. Yeah, yeah. HTTP colon uh, backslash backslash. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dot org. No. Okay. Uh, we'll leave it there. Uh, we got a great deal for you, too. You get a subscription with The Athletic for $2 a month uh, when you visit theathletic.com slash hockey show.